We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Wake up all you ancient sun gods and shine down on us with your happy little smiley face because it's time for another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're going to be looking at the latest episode of Doctor Who, The Rings of Akatan. Sounds Incan. It, it or does. My... or Yeah, there's something there. I don't think I got the pronunciation right even even they, still. I, I'm, I'm not even Akatan. sure what the pronunciation is. They did end it with 10, like as in 10th Doctor, 10, that kind of 10. Akatan, Akatan. It, it's wrong. I'm anyway, sure, go about it. Sure. It's, it's I don't really, really care. Whoops, I'm giving my game away. (laughs) Well, so uh, as you know, we are doing things a little bit differently. This this segment of hundreds of episodes, we're trying to shake it up a little bit. So a couple things I wanted to announce. Uh, The first is, if I hadn't mentioned it on the air, we now have a blog for Fusion Patrol. And you can find that at FusionPatrol.com, where we review a few other shows that perhaps didn't make the cut for the the episode so thank you for reminding me about that i keep forgetting so uh, and if you forget how would the audience remember exactly I'm, I'm ashamed so that's out there feel free to check it out we're also likely going to be putting out a few mini podcasts where some of the articles from the blog may get uh, may get posted to the audio stream as well uh, and another thing we're going to be doing for the duration of the doctor who uh, episodes is as you know sometimes we have uh, Simon in as a guest host, uh, bringing in an opinion from across the pond, uh, but that is logistically problematic for us to get him in uh, to do the three of us. So I've asked him to record a few small segment reviews, and I'll be playing those in uh, after we talk about the episode. But first, uh, I got him to talk about last week's episode, "The Bells of Saint John." So let's hear what Simon's opinion was. So this is my attempt to cram a review of the Bells of St John's into under two minutes. This one had loads of spectacle and was solidly entertaining, but it felt to me like a bit of a middle-of-the-road opener to this mini-season. As a present-day story, it doesn't feel as complete or as satisfying as Chris Chibnall's The Power of Three from last September. In fact, it's got quite an odd Russell T Davies vibe, even though there are a number of Moffatisms in it, some of which seem to have been recycled from previous episodes. The Spoonheads and the uploading people were reminiscent of Silence in the Library, and the Doctor and his TARDIS in Clara's Garden reminded me of the 11th hour. The telephone ringing, the bells of St John's, was something Moffat had also done, if I remember correctly, in The Empty Child. But I wonder if Moffat is being too clever, trying to make the Wi-Fi scary. I can see what he's doing here. This is the man who made us check for monsters under the bed, made us afraid of the cracks in our bedroom walls, even made shadows in the library seem sinister. But while it's obvious that this week's villain can upload people's souls and can control them, it's not clear what role Wi-Fi, and in particular logging onto this sinister Wi-Fi network, plays in this. It just leaves a lot of gaping plot holes. And that info dump at the very beginning makes an incredibly weak pre-title sequence, which is a shame when the Mad Monk section after the titles is clever and the Mad Monk gag is very funny. The set pieces on the plane and cycling up the Shard are thrilling, and the whole thing, with the locations and the costumes and the props and the music, is very atmospheric. So it is enjoyable, 
But the best scenes are those that feature Oswald and the Doctor together, and unfortunately, Clara's out of it for just too much of this episode. Also, this Clara isn't quite as mysterious or as impulsive as the Oswalds we've met before. Previously, she'd been driven by her own agenda into which the Doctor had become embroiled, but now she is the subject of the Doctor's pursuit, and while I admire her ability to hold on to a cup of tea, I do hope that some of the character traits of previous Oswalds will re-emerge in the Clara we're seeing in this run. And we'll hear again from Simon t- closer to the end of the episode where he'll be talking about the rings of Akaten. Oh, but we get to talk about it first. So let me start off with a little hunks. bit of a <laughs> let me start off with a little synopsis of the episode. Um, we start the episode in 1981 where Clara's parents meet by chance when a leaf, the leaf we saw in the previous episode, nearly causes her father's death. But it is also the instrument of their meeting. We see their love blossom, the birth and growth of Clara, and finally the death of her mother in 2005, all while the doctor watches, gathering what he knows. He declares Clara impossible. The day after the events of the Bells of St. John, the doctor returns for Clara and takes her on a journey. When she can't decide where to go, he decides to take her to the Rings of Akaten, an improbably existing asteroid belt with seven planets and the Pyramid of Akaten. He shows her a bazaar filled with aliens, which Clara cannot understand speaking. The doctor explains that here they use objects of sentimental value as currency instead of pieces of paper. The doctor disappears, and Clara encounters the Queen of Years running from two men. Clara follows and finds her to be a scared little girl and tries to help her hide. The TARDIS is locked, so they hide behind it. Mary, the Queen of Years, explains to Clara that she is the repository of all the songs, legends, chronicles, and poems, and that she has a song to perform today at the festival, and she is afraid she will get it wrong. Clara builds her confidence and returns her to her minders. The Doctor and Clara then attend the ceremony, and as the song progresses, a beam reaches out and grabs the girl, pulling her towards the pyramid. The doctor negotiates for a space scooter, and Clara must pay with her mother's ring, because of the sentimental value. They give chase on the scooter, but fail to reach the girl before she's drawn into the pyramid to the waiting mummy. The doctor manages to open the door, but the girl wants to be devoured by the mummy. The doctor convinces her other ways, and she sings a song that opens the door. They escape, but the mummy isn't really the god after all. It's the sun itself, and it is now awoken waiting to eat their souls. The doctor sends Clara and Mary away and tries to sacrifice his own soul to kill the god. In this reality, souls are the sum total of your memories. Everyone starts singing as the doctor feeds his memories to the old god, but it isn't enough. Clara comes and feeds it her leaf and all the possibilities that might have been but weren't, and it dies. He returns Clara to earth, and she suddenly remembers that the doctor was there at her mother's graveside. He explains she reminds him of someone. And she has the typical, well, as long as you're not confusing me with someone else. Okay. And the story ends. So, give me your unvarnished opinion. I'm sorry, were we discussing a story? No. We were I discussing so. the rings of Akaten. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, we're not discussing a story then. No, There's not. no story here. It's, like, the only thing that was of any interest for me was the whole bit with Clara's parents. 
which is prior to the opening credits. Right. I mean, it's the prologue. That's the only part of this entire thing that I thought was even remotely interesting. Everything else about this was just... It, to me, it seemed like utter rubbish. I mean, and, and you raised some good questions. How is it that uh, the TARDIS, while it serves as some sort of universal babblefish for anybody, you know, for the Doctor and for anybody who travels with him, why is it not working now? Why did the doors all of a sudden lock? I mean, did, like, the TARDIS all of a sudden decided it did not like Clara? I mean, there's, there's just... There's a bunch of just stuff that just means nothing. The whole existence of Akaten... The sun god, which then just collapses into what? A black hole? Nothing? What about everybody who's there? Dead. I mean, the whole thing just makes not one shred of sense. And then the and then something that just I I, I felt like I, I I don't even know what I felt. It's when the doctor he's supposedly sacrificing his memories and his souls and this and that, and all of a sudden Clara shows up and she presents a leaf. And this this whole metaphysical claptrap about all the things that never were, all the possibilities but never were, and I'm like, what? I what, what is this supposed to be? Some kind of uh, James Handy poem that I'm hearing off Saturday Night Live? I don't know. It made not one bit of sense, and worst of all is that it was presented in a way that I really didn't care. How's that? Yeah, um, I can't I can't disagree with. With much of anything there, um, it's not an. Indie. My daughter didn't like it, so I would say this is the first episode of Doctor Who she's watched. She didn't like. A lot of people didn't like it, and I've heard a lot of discussion about people saying, you know, it was a bold attempt to try something different. Granted, I'll give you that. I will too, but that doesn't change. But the it doesn't fact mean it didn't end, fail. No, the end result was still bad. Or so, at best, it was it was it was a nothing. And this is the first uh, of two writing assignments this year by award-winning author or or screenplay author and television series creator in Britain, uh, Neil Cross. And there's none of of that on display here. Um, There's none of award-winning talent on display here. Let's put it that way. No. In fact, if I did not know it was Neil Cross, I would not know that this was written by Neil Cross. And I don't know who Neil Cross is, apart from... I don't either. It's, you know, apart from... Although I'm sure any Brits who might be listening to this are probably going to start pulling their ear, you know, their hair off. Like, how, how could oh, you... Oh, he's the creator uh, of Luther, which I haven't seen, so... Oh, he is? Yes. Oh, well, okay. Um, I've heard good things about Luther, but I've never watched it, so one, I judge. Won bunches of awards because of the spiffy writing. But but as but a science fiction story... Here. You know, I can take... Um, I don't like the sonic screwdriver being a not magic wand. Oh, not this time. I thought it was a terrible use of it. It's been it, a, it's been a magic wand for a long time and I yeah. and I don't like that. It's it's no. just ridiculous to the point where you know you have the the two schools of thought. You have the school of thought that that a locked door shouldn't be a barrier to the doctor. Uh that you know if if that's your plot device then you're really undervaluing the doctor. But at the same time there's the school of thought that says the doctor shouldn't have a magic it's a magic out. wand. And it, it's gotten much, much more magic wand since the 2005 return of the series. And it was it was particularly... But, you know, I can sort of accept that. I can sort of accept, um, like we talked about last week, the uh, anti-gravity motorcycle. It came out of the TARDIS. Yes, it's it's ridiculous technology. But, okay, we'll, we'll pretend like it. And I, I could accept, even... Yeah. I could accept 
dragons. If you went to another planet, you found uh, like a dragon or, or, or even things like hobbits or, or, or elves or anything that you wanted to come up with like that. You say, well, this is what the indigenous life form looks like this. And if you wanted to put magic fairies and witches, okay, you just have to come up with a plausible real world explanation. To me. Yeah, they, mean, did, and they did that in Torchwood, and it worked just fine. They they did it. Yeah, the, the, that was the only good episode of Torchwood, except for Children of Earth, and um, they they also did it in um, the Witches, the Shakespeare episode. Oh yeah, you know. Okay, fine. I mean, it's still it's still nonsense, but at least they tried. At least it, they attempted something, the, and the, it was it was they it were pretending just, it was it was just sciencey, not. Yeah. fantasy. It was just plausible enough for me to be able to sit back and say, okay, I may not accept it, but okay, I can, I can move on now. But this one was just pure fantasy. Oh, uh, it was, it was, it was, just, it was nothing. They plunked us down on an asteroid, not big enough to have enough gravity. No. Called them planets as if the writer had never seen the special effects, which of course he hadn't seen the special effects, but obviously the guy who did the special effects well, he should had know never read I'm... the script apparently. No, Cause no, uh, no. Yeah, so there's, these planets, which planets in air quotes, which could not have held atmosphere, which could not have held the people down, no, uh, didn't, and it, and it's not like we're going to be pretending that it's some technological marvel that built a bubble of air around them, because they already told us that life evolved on these seven planets, and they thought that that was the beginning of the universe. So these people came up on these planets; they're not just recent colonizations, and. Why? I mean, he he rides a motor scooter from one planet to another planet and doesn't have to even do anything with, like, oxygen or anything. I mean, it just absolutely, totally just says, you know, we, we, don't, we don't care. We, we don't, we're not even going to try to make this one plausible for you. It's just a fantasy. Don't worry about it. Um, wizards are real. And the doctor's a wizard. And Hey, he's Merlin. Didn't you know that? I did not. Yeah, I did know that, sadly. But I did not appreciate that and i really felt that that was uh if that was the major departure in doctor who i think that's a bridge too far oh no argument um and uh, again is is the fact that clara's not getting translation there were several things in this episode that i felt were thrown in there and and i'm increasingly beginning to think i think there's a few things that are that are now being thrown out that are intentionally meant to be fan bait. I'll give you an example. Um, why on earth would Clara, who has spent no more than five minutes in the TARDIS, even have an impression in her mind that the TARDIS is a sentient being? For that line about, well, I don't think the TARDIS likes me. Kind of strange. It's a door. It's got a lock on it. Why wouldn't she just think that the door's locked? She knows the doctor locks the door because we saw him use a key on it in front of the bells of St. John. And so for her to jump to the conclusion that the TARDIS doesn't like me, it's really, if it were any other show where we, the audience, don't know that the TARDIS actually might hold a grudge against her, then you would just think it's a personification of it. You know, like, this dune buggy doesn't like me. Kick the tires. But I don't think that's what it was. No, I don't either. I got the same thought that she was referring to the TARDIS as being the sentient, if you uh-huh. will, that craft that we know what it is. And Right, and she doesn't. And the uh, the uh, translator circuits didn't work And yet her. the doctor felt totally nonplussed about her not understanding anything. 
That's right. Didn't bother him one bit. Didn't bother him one bit. Um, he left the story for six and a half minutes with no explanation of any kind. And he just walked away and was gone and left her for you know, quite a, quite a long period of time with no explanation when he came back. And well, w- what was he off doing? Was he having another adventure, maybe? Oh, who knows? Maybe that's where he was going back to the Clara Oswin time and and why his TARDIS got all dirty or, or something. I, I don't know. When Clara comes out of the, the TARDIS at the end of the episode, first thing she says when she looks out the, the door is, it looks different. And the doctor says, nah, it's exactly the same. Same day, even. It's like, dismissive? Time change? Who knows? No, no I kind of got a feeling that it was just her perception of what's reality. I mean, I, that was the one line I, actually, I, I did get. I could, I could understand the how... The world looks smaller to me now. Exactly. Maybe. I, yeah, I, I, could, I could see that in her. Like, oh, you know, this, this, this used to be my life. This used to be my world. And now, after... Because what was her request when she... Goes show me something amazing. Yeah, she says, amaze me. Show me something amazing. So he did. I mean, if you want to call it that, amazing. But be that as it may, she saw something that was quite literally out of this world, experienced something that was even more crazy. So now to come back to humdrum, mundane Earth, it, it would seem maybe a little smaller, um, maybe not quite as vibrant in Maybe. terms of just just color, I, I could see how it would pale. So I, I could I could get that part. Or since she's some sort of time anomaly, who knows? Well, true, but I don't even think she realizes that yet. So the fact that the car that nearly hit her father is the exact same make, model, and color as the one that ran over Pete Tyler? Oh, actually, I didn't notice that. I, I did not notice. Mm, yeah, I... because I was too busy focused on the leaf. Well, exactly. But it is that same muddy, mustard, yellow, brown, whatever the heck it was. I'm going to call that one a coincidence. It could and, be. It could be uh, the only old car that the BBC owns. Exactly. Because exactly. Because the dates they, are wrong. Yeah, they needed something that, that was vintage. That was 1981. We when know that. Or, or in the prologue. In the prologue. We know that because... The doctor was reading a ma- he was reading a magazine. He was reading a 1981 Beano special, and they were playing music that was a hit. In 1981. I don't even remember. Uh, I wouldn't have known it if I didn't have the subtitles on. It was, I forgot what the name of it was, but it was, it was that music was playing was a hit in that same year. So we're pretty sure that was 1981. We also know that the Pete Tyler incident occurred in 1987. So it seems doubtful that it's the same car, but, but an interesting one and it is going around and it could also be Moffat throwing red herrings, red herrings, just like they did the, uh, the, the anagram names in the um, uh, the Rebel Flesh of the company. Oh yeah. The, oh yeah. I forgot the, about that. The, that's, the that's trickster, true. the Phantom Trickster, or whatever the yeah. name of the company was. Let's see. What else was there about this story? Uh, story again, using the term in the loosest possible of conditions. This presentation. This presentation. Um, I thought that it was very unclear exactly. What happened to you if your memories got eaten? Uh, yeah, I was kind of thinking, well, if that happens, then... Hasn't he, the doctor been wiped? Well, yeah, I was thinking that he was sacrificing all this stuff uh, for two reasons. One, uh, to try to satisfy this 
this this emotional vampire sun god thing. Why would it have eyes and a smiley oh, face? Please, that was so cheesy. And the second reason was he didn't want to remember. He wanted to forget. So he was happy to surrender it all. Perhaps. But it didn't seem like it made no, it him forget. Anything. It, it did nothing. It did nothing. So all of these people could have had everything eaten and... <laughs> well, there's the other thing. Now, it calls into question what this was all about. So, okay, this... We'll call you aren't it the, the only person. The writer didn't know either. No, well, okay, we'll, call it, we'll refer to it as a sun god just for, just for uh, sake of ease. Uh, there's this gathering. What? And it's like every thousand years, if I remember right? That's what it said, yeah. So every thousand years, they come together, they all sing, and they sacrifice some piece of some item that has emotional significance. And in the past, apparently, it never, it never created a problem. They, the, apparently, the sun god was never upset or angry. Grandfather, I think, is what they called him. Grandfather was the mummy, turns out. Was that the, was that the, was that the mummy? Oh. Yeah. So it, it, never, it never got him. The pointless the mummy, god. I might add. Yeah, really. The alarm clock. It never got the sun god upset. Now the sun god's upset, and... Apparently, and he's feeding off the doctor, who we've got to admit, I mean, he, with all the lives that he has led, what he has to surrender, or what he's easily, gladly giving up, has got to be an enormous amount of food, for lack of a better term. Okay, so the doctor has led a, a, a heck of a life, we we have to say. I mean, he's, he's a tragedy in a thousand well, years. And I, I, to, I only bring that up because... Compared to the millions of people that the sun god was apparently going to devour? Well, compared to the millions of people that were just simply gladly sacrificing trinkets. Could be, but if it... I mean, I, 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 even though those may have a lot of emotional weight to them, it could, I, I, I don't know, I just had a hard time believing that all of that combined would equal all this emotional memory weight that the doctor has been carrying around for all these years. I couldn't tell whether or not actually it wakes up every thousand years. They, it, it was not, not really made clear. They kind of implied that it didn't. But in the intervening but thousand years, he's asleep. They, they had to sing to it the entire time. Those monks, or whatever they were called, are singing to it in relay for a thousand years. And the girl, now, is the girl really, I mean, okay, so she's, let's say she's eight or whatever. Was the previous queen of years just a normal person who only lived 80 or 90 years or whatever it was? And that, you know, generations of them live and die and are taught the stories so that when the thousand years gets here, they're ready for it? Or are... Are they like incredibly long lived, or and so the last queen of years was actually the last queen of years for the first? I don't know. It's, none it's, of that was it's clear. Unanswered. It's you no, know, none of it is clear. It's not even really brought up. It's just kind of presented to us in this fragment, and we're expected to just go along with it. Yeah, and and the singing. I'd like to bring up the singing. Uh, um, I'm feeling you would. I. I'm not opposed to the idea of the singing. Again, you know, a departure. It's an interesting idea. It's a different culture. I mean, heck, this is this is a, a sort of different thing that we've been brought up. But did you listen to the lyrics of this song? No, I was really I was more focused on the melody. Well, first off, they were in English. 
Which, that I did notice. Yeah, I, I knew that they were in English, but I was not paying attention to the lyrics. I was more focused on the melodic structure. I, I didn't I didn't transcribe all of them, but I did transcribe a major portion of the song. Um, it, the lyrics are, Sleep, my precious, sleep, lay down my warrior, now my king, sleep, my eternal, sleep, my king. And... The girls has a different variation. It's like, uh, oh, Akitan, sleep. <laughs> it's just, it's just absolutely the most insipid nonsense that they should have had Murray Gold compose some gibberish for them to sing. Well, I don't know, like about they do the, the Dalek music. You know, I don't know. I don't know about the lyrical content. Maybe they could have done something better with the lyrics. But I honestly thought. That the music, in terms of simple melodic structure, the way it was put together, the way the, the, the priest, the tenor, is singing his line, his melody, and then you've got the, the, the little girl who's singing the counter melody, I thought was some of the most striking, and I mean that in a positive way, musical structure I've heard in a long time. I was very, very moved by it. I thought it was quite, quite lovely. It was... It was it was fine until I realized there were words in English. And then when I heard the words in English, all I could think of, this is what you sang for a thousand years. Just sleep, sleep, sleep. Oh, and then later on there was wake up. <laughs> but it was, it was. <sighs> well, it does call, I would say this, lyrically, it does call into question. Uh, how can I say this? Um the whole purpose behind it because singing is supposed to convey a lot of emotion and if this sun god thing is an emotional vampire of sorts then it needs to have some kind of emotion behind it now yes you they need to be singing beowulf well what, what, the thing is that they they can be singing i mean even uh, i i've 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 sung I, in my experience singing in in uh choirs I've seen I've sung passages that simply had ah uh, like that. I mean that was one of the lyrics too. That was what opened the secret door. It, I mean this. I, I was singing music that was written by John Williams mm-hmm. um, some years back, and it, it was it was the choir. We were singing music from um, one of the Star Wars movies, and while it had no lyrics whatsoever, no, no, no. not that one, no. Oh, actually, we did do that one. I was yes. going to say, that's yeah. one of the ones the, with all the... Uh, uh, actually, no, actually, that's... No, actually, no. No, 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 no. That's um, Rata, um, Yatama. I mean, it's it's all Sanskrit. You, what you're thinking of. You're thinking of dueling fates. Yeah, dueling fates, right. Yeah, that's that's Sanskrit. Okay, that might as well be gibberish. There uh, are no Sanskritoids around. I mean, there. it's... Well, the Sanskriters are gone. I know, uh, but the, the words are legitimate. The grammar was nonsense, but the words were legit. Now, this is something that was sung in. Um, it's it's late, it's towards the the latter latter third of Revenge of the Sith, and it's just ah like that. I mean, it's 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 kind of simple, but it has a lot of emotional weight behind it. I, I'm not saying you can't do that. I no, mean, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm and not. I was I was only half joking when I said you should pull up his Dalek music because I mean that's exactly what Murray Gold does with all his his Dalek but music. He's got point, that operatic nonsense that they're the point that I was saying. trying to make though is that as much as music alone, even if you're singing just open syllables and open, or open vowel sounds, 
while that can convey a lot of emotion, the moment you start to interject lyrics, it takes on a whole new dimension. There's a whole new depth to it, or at least they're supposed to be. And now you have, now there's a message. You are singing something that has content. And the lyrics have to match that. Now, again, I was very much hung up on the melodic structure, the way the two lines were interweaving with each other. I thought it was quite nice. I think you were supposed to be. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it, it, it worked. I mean, and whenever I hear music, whenever I hear a song anyway, I always go to the music first. I don't, I don't, I don't immediately listen to the lyrics. I'm, I'm, I'm automatically drawn to, to melody. That's just melodic structure is what I always, is what I always catch to first. So I wasn't paying attention. And had I watched it a second time or a third time, maybe I would have caught the lyrics. But now that you, but you brought it up, okay, the, the lyrics do seem weak. And in that particular case, I would say the song, the, the purpose of the song then fails because there's no real, there's no significance. You'd think they'd the be feeding they're him. singing. Well, exactly. They have to be singing something that would help keep this, this sun god Asleep, I guess. Well, think about it now. They feed the girl all of their legends and stories and stuff. So, I no, mean, she's, she's got all this stuff. Why aren't they... Why, like, why, why is she singing it? IVing it to, to the sun god. Well, not, the question is, they, did they feed it to her so that he can eat her? They're fattening her up, literally. Well, that was the other thing. I thought she was going to be a sacrifice, to be honest. I think she was. Yeah, I think I thought she was going to be a sacrifice. Keith thought the same thing too. Is when he, we both thought it was as we were watching it that, and that she. Why didn't, wouldn't you uh, think that when she's running away in terror? Well, but you heard her reason why she ran, why she was running. But you don't when you first see her. She's running away. She's terrified. No, it's, it's not really true. good. So I, true. I'm looking at that, going, "I'm the queen of the, I'm the queen of the years." It's like, yeah, well, isn't that like the queen of the May at some of those uh, yeah, Wicker yeah, Man stuff? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I immediately thought, "Oh, the May Queen," and she is. She's to be a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. We all, yeah, we all thought that until she then explains what her purpose is. But even then, I have to wonder: was she originally designed to be? A sacrifice to this thing. I mean, I don't know. But again, there's yet another unanswered question. There's too many unanswered questions that that are, and the questions themselves are posed. That they're posed to us in such a really poor way that I found myself not really caring. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I could think of some problems that we could have solved in this story. Like, for example, uh, if the mummy grandfather is the alarm clock for the old god, and the mummy wakes up, and he spends his time smashing his way out of that uh, glass chamber, and as soon as he cracks out of the glass chamber, then he can send the signal to old god and wake him up. So why don't they just barricade him into something a lot more impervious to getting out of? Problem because solved. That would, be, that would be against the religion. Couldn't it have been thicker glass? Against the religion. I, I'm, I, and I'm not justifying it. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of um, more like emphasizing the stupidity. It was against the religion. I'm willing to bet that, that you, it was unthinkable. We can't do that. that. I mean, that's just not the way it's been done. That's not the way we do things. That's not the way we've done things with our religion for the past God knows how many years. But somebody put him in that glass case originally or whatever well obviously wasn't glass but they put him in that case to begin with again another unanswered question i mean they 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 just threw something at us hoping that it would like stick to the wall 
and, yeah, and shit sticks me. to the wall if you splatter it hard enough. It's true. Oh, thank you for saying that. I wasn't going to, but okay, you did. I did. I, it, it was just badly executed. Too many, too many half thought ideas, half baked ideas. That's what it is. It's like a, it's a jumble of ideas. And and here's None something of them that, fully formed. Here's something that I I just read earlier today, um, and I found it both telling and terrifying. Neil Cross was told by the producer that, hey, you know that whole, like, speeder bike thing from Star Wars? We've figured out a way to do that cheap. Can you work it into the story? Oh, you're kidding. Nope. Oh, that's just downright pathetic. Uh, and I don't know if you noticed it, but the speeder bike looked terrible. Oh, it, it yeah. It looked like blue screen from... Well, as 70s a, and 80s Doctor as, Who. As a prop, it looked like something out of the 1980s Flash Gordon. I'm thinking this might have been a very cheap episode. Oh, totally okay. cheap. But then maybe now now you might be onto something. Given what we know is coming up, maybe they did want to crank out just a very, very cheap episode so that they could divert their money into something that would have higher production value. Pity they couldn't do that into something like Blink, which was probably a fairly cheap episode as well. Well, that's true. They could have done something that was Dr. Light, but it's too soon to go Dr. Light. Don't, don't do cheap Don't do cheap on an alien world. Do cheap no. on Earth. Yeah. I mean, do cheap on, on 21st century, you know, on, on you know, 2012, 2013 Earth. You can do that. That won't cost you a lot of money, except for location costs. Oh, Doctor, we've landed in a big empty field. I don't know. We must be in the Lake District, or you know, whatever. I, it's, yeah. I mean, there's there's countless episodes that could have done that would have given them. Uh, I mean, they could have gone it still gone inside a studio and have it be oh they they, you know, maybe revisit an idea from like a trout episode. I don't know. Throw, I don't know. How about putting them in a maze and they have to figure their way out? I don't know, but something different. Not this. I, I feel like this episode was. I don't. That's the only instance I'm aware of, um, and. Uh, I don't remember exactly where I read it. It wasn't like a blog post. It was something a little more authoritative than that. But I felt like there were lots of things like that in this episode. I mean, all the rubber-masked aliens. And that's the first time we've ever seen that. And it really kind of, you know, was it successful? I don't know. Um, They weren't bad. I mean, it was certainly up to 1977 Star Wars Cantina Band. Exactly. uh, That was the first thing that came to my mind. Oh, this looks like a... Uh, something that Rick Baker might have designed, you know, and I, I exactly right. I was reminded of the Cantina sequence from Star Wars, but it was okay. I mean, it was okay. I was, I mean, I, I that doesn't uh, bother me in Doctor no, Who. I, no, not... that that didn't bother me too much. I liked the idea of the completely alien market. I thought there was a lot more they could have done with that. Uh, but then again, I got hung up on the fact that Clara didn't understand a single word that that anybody was saying. And so it, it just again something that felt very. Uh, it felt half baked. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you liked the prologue. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't uh, I don't disagree. But so the doctor watches through Clara's life up to this point, and he declares her to be impossible. Well, okay. Um, maybe maybe that's the wrong person to look at. Maybe he should have gone and followed Clara Oswin Oswald's growing up back in. Victorian times, and maybe he should have gone out and found Oswin Oswald uh, 
that was out on the Alaska and followed her growing up to see if there's any similarities between the two processes. But That's apparently that didn't easy. cross his mind. That's too easy. If they were, if they had gone down that, that it, if, if they'd gone down that road, the mystery would have been solved right away. And well, but you see, I don't think that want. it's the doctor's job to do things stupidly to make the mystery last longer for the audience. I think the doctor should follow some logical process and that the writer should come up with a better mystery that can't be easily solved by the doctor's time travel. I mean, I, I mean he's I, already met Clara in the present at her 20-X-year-old age, and then he goes back and follows her to childhood. So there's no reason he can't do the same for the other two Oswald I agree. Women. I agree completely. What I was going to say is that given past episodes that we've seen, I would not put much stock in the idea of the doctor trying to do something in a logical, rational, intelligent manner. I mean, he's done some pretty – Moffat has crafted stories either by, by his own writing or by directing other writers into giving us stories that have the doctor doing things that I think are really stupid. That just make no sense. So I, I. You mean can't. like marking on your face uh, tally marks for how many times you see the silence when you wouldn't actually be able to write on your own face and keep tally marks correctly? Yeah. Because you wouldn't know when to draw number five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. Well, the one that the, yeah, exactly the one that bugged me. I I keep keep harping back. You know, and I don't, I don't want to get off this episode, but. The whole bit with the – yeah, th- that entire arc with the impossible astronaut, Day of the Moon, the silence, all of that, especially in the, the final episode, it just showed a total lack of very creative thinking on the part of the writers as they wrote The Doctor. And in doing so, they gave us a doctor who does not come off anywhere near as intelligent or – as intellectual that us long-time Who fans have come to expect. I mean, I've been going back and I've been re-watching Hartnell, Troughton, and right now I'm just totally diving into Pertwee episodes. And I am marveling at how incredibly clever the Doctor is without being this demigod that we've been We've had foisted on to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, since David Tennant. And unfortunately, I don't care what Moffat has said. That characteristic has carried over into Matt Smith's Doctor. Not <laughs> Even as- Eccleston. Oh, yeah. Even Eccleston. I mean, the, the whole bit where uh, the, the, the tree people are like, oh, you shouldn't even exist. I mean, you could clearly see that once she knew he was a Time Lord, then they were like put up on a pen. And, and rightly so. The Time Lords are... Uh, were-ish or will-not-ish, will-not-be-again, or whatever, uh, very awesome, powerful beings. But especially, you know, but they're that, still mortal. And, exactly. And, and they already and, played it. And, of course, they're gone. The time, we, we know that the Time Lords are gone. So I can understand why she would, why, why that tree... He's mythological at that right. point. Right. I can understand it, especially at this in this era, because the Doctor, I think it was the last day of Earth. Mm-hmm. So... Far, 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 far future, the Time Lords have fallen clearly into into legendary status, not just because of who they were, but just the whole nature of the Time War, all of that. I can, I can understand why that would happen. But it's the Doctor's behavior that I always call into question. And we get, again, we got, we got a lot of that in Tenet, 
we got some of that. It's it has been pulled back a little bit with Matt Smith's doctor. We're not given the intelligent, scientifically minded doctor that we came to know and love during the Barry Lett era. Right. That that doctor's gone. Or, or even during the Tom Baker era. He's he's well, still yeah. I mean, granted, I understand, okay, this is a different generation. We need to kind of hit them with wow and pizzazz. I mean, that's the excuse we're being given. I say rubbish to that. I don't think so. Tom I think Baker they, would have wowed and pizzazzed them, and he oh, was absolutely. still clever. So, uh, no, I don't Matt know. Matt Smith, I think, I say Matt Smith would have that capability of doing the same thing so long as they, I mean, they, they, they keep painting him as this, okay, yeah. The doctor is by now this incredibly ancient, ancient, old individual. I get that, fine, but he keeps pulling that out like it's—I—I—I I, I don't know. I don't know how, what to call it, but it, it's almost like some, some. He's not even batch. that old. He's not even that old. He's like eight hundred and fifty when he's the sixth doctor. I mean, well, now he's eleven hundred or something of that nature. I mean, that's. You know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not that much difference. No, not really. It's just the way that it's being given to us. So I, it just feels that this doctor, they're, they're portraying him as more of, again, as the warrior. You know, and that's the one thing that really bugged me. Because I kept hoping, after, especially after uh, Demon's Run... There's that, there's that whole speech that River gives. What does doctor mean? Doctor means healer. And, but what has doctor come to mean now? It's come to mean warrior. The man who can snap his finger and an entire army will turn and run away. I mean, that's, that's power. That's, but that's too much power for this, this individual. He is far too clever. He is far too powerful. I was just watching, uh, not long ago, I was watching one of the Peladon episodes and i love the fact that pertwee's doctor in order to get out of in order to get out of a jam he actually had to break open some computer panel and do some rewiring i thought that was great probably had to reverse the polarity of the neutron well he never said that thank god but he had to actually do some physical manipulation he didn't just sonic it no that's the beauty of it Another thing I like about it, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll go with with Pertwee here again. Uh, pick Colony in Space, for example. Um, I think that's about the first time the Time Lords send him on a mission uh, against his will, yes. and he's exploring the planet. And he does have a sort of rough knowledge of that period of time. You know, this is when the uh, Leapfrog Galaxy's out and, and was colonizing one. Well, but I he doesn't just... know the planet. He doesn't know the companies. He doesn't know, he doesn't everything, know everything there is to be. He's, he's not omniscient. He's there to find out. And he's just like, well, let's find out. This is fun. I'm exploring. And I, I so miss I miss that. that. I miss I that so much. That's... The Doctor is now totally omniscient. Pretty and, much. And I, I don't he still the, makes mistakes, but he's got so much information in between the mistakes that it's just too, uh, it, it's too, it's too much. Anyway, and, and and he comes off as just far too powerful, which as a, as a, a result, I think when writing him, they end up writing him reckless and dumb, instead of intelligent, clever, and cautious. Here's something that's not that wasn't dumb in this episode. Um, I don't know that it was handled well, but 
I, I, was, I was impressed with it. I don't know if it's Neil Cross's uh, work or whether this is something that Moffat had put in there at, at his thing. Um, they arrive on the planet, in air quotes, and the doctor says, oh, it's about this, and they believe that on the seven planets all life originated there in the universe and stuff. Like that. And Clara says something with great clarity that no other companion has ever asked the doctor, ever. And he would know. Right? She says, did it? Did all life in the universe come from here? And the doctor's answer is, well, it's a nice story. It is, they believe it. They believe it. It's a it's nice, a nice story. story. It's a nice story. Has there ever been a companion that has asked the doctor where, where life and in the universe came from? That was actually a good question. When, and, and I have to admit, if, you know, if I had been in Clara's position at that moment, if I had been in her place and all of a sudden was presented with this, this event, this thing going on around me, and this idea of these people believing that all life sprung from here, yeah, you know, the first question that probably would have come out of my mouth, I probably would have asked the same thing. Did it? And when he said it's, like, it's a curious. nice story, then I would have said, where did it really come from? I, yeah, I, I would have gone the next step. You know, that would, that would have been the next question. But the fact that a companion even kind of went there was... Well, I don't think any companion has ever been put in a position where they were then sort of, I don't want to say persuaded, but given the opportunity to even think that idea of where did life come from. I, I, I can't imagine any other companion uh, being put in that position where all of a sudden they were presented with this notion of the beginning of all life. I mean, we, we get the you know, beginning of life on Earth. Uh, with uh, City of Death, uh, things like that. But the beginning of all life, I don't think we've ever had that presented to us in a Doctor Who episode or in any kind of a story that, it, that I mean, now maybe it did. I, I'm just not remembering right now. But I don't think we've ever actually seen that. So if we haven't seen it, then I can't think of any reason why any companion, at least on camera, would dare to ask the or, or even think to ask the question. Hmm. All right, well, have you got anything else on this episode? Because I think I've... Oh, God, I've just trashed this thing to death at this point. And, and not just the episode, but the, the series in general right now. Because yeah, it hasn't I, been two great episodes in a row here. No, and what I, what I have a really bad feeling about is that this particular episode is actually... I, I get the feeling that it is a microcosm for the basic direction that the series is is going. And that makes me sad because it's just... It's just not the show that that I grew up loving. I mean, I keep going back. I mean, just tonight I was rewatch. I started to rewatch the demons, and last week I rewatched Inferno because I find those to be far more enjoyable than than the stuff that we're being given now. And you're so and- lucky. We just watched Attack of the Cybermen and Vengeance on Varos. Oh my God! Why? We're working our way through them. I know yep. it's it's like it's like the. It's like waiting for the guillotine to fall because Sylvester McCoy is next. But I mean, I you know you know what I'd be doing? I'd be going backwards. To be honest, I, I just rewatched uh, a month ago. The regenerations don't work if you go backwards. No, it, no it's kind of silly. Crap. Who gives a crap? I just rewatched Two of the Cybermen and thought, God, what a great episode! All right, well, uh, let's um, let's play in Simon's uh, take on this uh, episode. I can't wait. <laughs> and then we will be back to uh, play you out with uh, some musical accompaniment.
This is my two-minute thought dump on my first impressions of the rings of... <coughs> I really enjoyed having an episode that was non-Earth, that was the first proper adventure for this iteration of Oswald, at least. It had a feel of the early days of, of New Who returning, a bit like the end of the world. And it was great that it felt properly alien and somewhere that it would really be scary for Clara to lose sight of the Doctor and risk getting lost. It felt like a proper new companion episode, and I liked the fact that there wasn't that much story, so it didn't feel rushed and the episode had time to breathe, and they had time to build a proper alien world that felt distinctive and unfamiliar, although it was familiar in the sense that at least there were echoes of the wonderful gridlock in the way they used music. It was wonderful, of course, to have a reference to Susan, and Matt Smith was given some lines that really played to his strengths. The intensity of his direction to Clara, we don't walk away, and the speeches about running from out of the shadows, immediately punctured by the kind of charming levity that Smith does so well with the line about uh, taking the moped, uh, popping off and I'll, and I'll walk. I love the way this one handled religion as well. Just because something eats your soul doesn't make it a god. If I had to find a criticism, it might be that the story seemed to climax and finish a few minutes before the end of the episode, which was a shame. That time could have been used for more of the lovely character moments, like when Clara and Mary were chatting behind the TARDIS. Also, perhaps it wasn't the most original episode, especially when you consider that it's technically part of the same season as the wonderful A Town Called Mercy and The Power of Three. But nevertheless, it was enjoyable comfort viewing, and I'm confident that next week is going to be even better. So I'm thoroughly enjoying the ride. OK, well then, we guess we'll be waiting for you all next week when we'll be looking at the next episode, which is a Mark Gatiss episode, which I am looking forward to. This one I'm Cold looking War, forward to. The Return of the Ice Warriors, and they look fantastic. I think they look great. Um, so maybe it's got David Warner in it. It's got... Uh, oh, does it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, big names. I, I, oh, I, I didn't know. I knew that David Warner was going to be in a Doctor episode. I didn't know he was in this one. He Yes, this is the one he is in, and... Uh, I guess we'll find out if it's going to be good. So I hope everyone will join us again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Leave us a review on iTunes. Or stop by and visit at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. Search for Fusion Patrol, or just drop us a note at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.